Hi, and welcome to Ledge Podcast. This time with a real climbing legend, Jerry Moffat. In this podcast, we talk about Jerry himself, what makes Jerry Jerry. We also talk quite a lot about the book Jerry's writing together with Hannes Huch. It's called Mastermind and is about the mental aspects of climbing and performing. So, here we go. Right, so we're here with um, in Sheffield at Jerry Moffat's house with Jerry Moffat. How about that? Welcome to the. On my birthday. On your birthday, exactly. Don't forget. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 38 today. Yep. Yep. How about that? Yep. Yep. 54. 54. Pratt have got there. Yeah. So, um, Take that I think today, we I mean, we could talk about anything as usual. Uh, in this podcast, anything can happen. We can talk about uh, dogs, uh, hunting. <laughs> uh, surfing. Surfing, for sure. You're next next week. You're going surfing. You said uh, Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. Go, going away for a week. So oh. just waiting to the last minute. Look at the charts. Because yeah. sometimes you you book the things. It's kind of like going on a climbing trip. Mm. You know, if you're going on up in a lot of climbing trips, you organise it a long way in advance. But if you're free, you really want to wait to the day before. Look at the weather and then go. What's What's the place to be right now? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with the right charts and stuff like you don't want to look at you don't want to like turn up at Fontainebleau and the forecast is mm-hmm. bad for a week. You're best off looking at it. Yeah, which I guess only only a few professional climbers can do. Could, yeah. uh, but so you don't need to worry about where to stay and stuff like that. Uh, I think if we go to, if we go to oh, my friend and organise it. Oh, he, right. He's been there. <laughs> he, he was there a few. He was there about a month ago in Portugal, and he's been to Hossegla quite a few times. So mm. I'm just get an apartment. Ah, nice. So that's all settled then. Yeah, but he's oh. he's like an old school mountaineer climber, mm. so he's quite happy to to doss out and stuff and yeah. sleep rough. But I'm, I refuse to do it now. I've done that, and I don't want to go there. Yeah, should do fifty four today. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's just something those, you did in your twenties, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. want to do that anymore. So about that dossing out, which uh, you did back in the day. Today we went went and uh, visited um, Stony Stony Middleton. Yes, and you showed me the um, the cave where you actually used to yes live, so to speak. Yes, yeah. I mean, how? Because I was one of the themes of this podcast was going to be like, how come you guys uh, you trained like mad back in the day? How come you didn't climb nine B at the time? Yeah. Uh, so well, I'll stop with that question. And how come you didn't climb that Because you were super the strong. The thing is, you got, when I when I when I started climbing, it was the late seventies. Mm-hmm. So um, back then, there was it, it was it was such a long time ago. We we were told from our climbing instructor, the best way to learn how to climb when you start climbing is to climb in great big heavy walking boots. So when we started climbing, we had these, they were almost like ski boots. And we were told, and it was the thought, that that's the way to start climbing. That's the best way for your footwork. 
Why? They were almost like in our climbing school. We had, you know, the the, the metal things on the bottom of the thing. That's what people used to climb in. They used to climb in walking boots with metal stuff clipped around the outside, and that's what people climbed in. So some on some of the old climbs in Wales, you can see all these scrape marks where people climbed them. God knows why, but I climbed in them, and then pretty quickly I realised it was easier climbing in training shoes. So for the first year. I didn't even have a pair of climbing shoes. And then I tried some, a friend had some, and I went traversing on the on the wall of this, this artificial, like, it wasn't an artificial wall, it was just this brick wall. Brick wall yeah. um, and I went on there and I was like, oh, these are rubbish. I like, mm-hmm. my, I like my trainers better, don't like them. And then I got, then I got some for, for a birthday present. But I think in short, the fact that we, we just didn't, we didn't have the facilities, we didn't have the knowledge, we didn't train right, there was no climbing walls. You could only climb six months of the year. Mm. So I think it, you know, a combination of all those things, you know, it's just it's it's but, so easy now. It's so 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 easy to climb hard. You know, you've got an indoor wall. All cities have got three or four walls. You have a choice. You can climb every day. You get perfect temperature. Do you think there's anything that you did that you did? better than people do today like any any pros and in, in, in your uh, your way of doing things with the with the uh, really hard boots and yeah no I don't think I, don't, I think I think it's, some of the things were equal I mean I think the way that people are training now and their rest days and how, how they're doing more volume and not going to failure we used to do everything to failure mm. so when we climbed even later on right at the end of my climbing career when we did have gymnasiums you'd climb and then you'd climb till you're absolutely knackered so you'd climb for an hour mm. and then sort of that last 10 minutes of that session or, or would be really intense you just just kill yourself so because of that you probably needed a rest day And it took a long time to recover. So I think in retrospect, it's probably not good to do that last little bit. It can be only like one or two problems that will really kill you. Mm. But doing that right at the end, I think that's changed. But I think our diets, don't think that's improved. I don't think people, I don't think that's really improved. And I don't think the mental side's got any better. I don't think people are doing anything. They're not doing anything better than what we were doing. Do you think they're stronger today? The best climbers than you. Oh, they're way, way, way stronger. Yeah. Oh, Your they're way well. stronger. Yeah, way stronger. Yeah. I mean, the, the, we had we had somebody who was really flexible. You'd have somebody who had really strong fingers. Somebody had strong arms. Now the best climbers have, have got everything. So when I was climbing, I'd see somebody else and I thought, God, I wish I was as flexible him. I'd climb way better. Mm. Or you'd see somebody else with not very good technique but strong fingers, and you think, God, if I had his finger strength, I'd climb way better. The climbers now, there's no attribute they don't have. So you see them climbing, thinking they're really flexible, they're really strong, they've got really good arm power, they've got good technique, and they're good mentally. Mm. And they're a good weight, and they're genetically strong. So they have, they seem to have everything. Yeah, at all. Uh, which you didn't get very many rounded climbers. Like back then, you'd get climbers who climb really well, like Yuji Hiramu, who's really flexible. Mm. But he didn't have the brute power of somebody like Malcolm no. uh, Smith, who was a boulderer. But now they seem to, they seem to have everything. 
it was so you didn't think back then when you when you watched someone who was really flexible or really finger had this really big finger strength that hey uh, I, I need to get really flexible I need to really yes work well, I on did it. I mean I you did, did work on my flexibility yeah. but I didn't start working on my flexibility I've never even heard of stretching until I was about I went to America when I was I think 19 and I saw this guy stretching before he climbed and I was like what the what an idiot what's he doing that for <laughs> what's that going to do and every time you stand there it'd be like stretching you think oh man I'll never do that that looks stupid so you know you start stretching when you're like 20 I mean it's you, you need to late. start stretching when you're like really young yeah. plus a lot of it's genetic if you can't do the splits when you're 10 you're never going to like you've stretched every day you're never going to do the splits mm. so I was never super flexible but I did I did stretch when I was climbing I stretched every day and I did work on or, you know I, did, I worked on everything but it all happened a lot later on but if you think if you've got somebody when you're 9, 10 years old telling you to stretch telling you to do that that's why they're, mm, they're climbing so much better yeah we're going to come Go back to that uh, US trip in a, in, in a minute, but first, what was it that made you such a good climber? What was your genetic? Um, I think I think I had uh, a good height, a good natural weight, mm. really skinny legs, so I was really I was very light. Mm. Um, I, res- I improved really quickly to training, so I responded to the training mm. that I was doing really well. Mm. So when I trained, I improved really really fast. Because I started climbing when I was 15. I got into it when I was 16. By the time I was 18, two years later, this mm. is not climb. there's no indoor climbing walls. I think I was probably certainly the best in England. And when I was 19, I was probably one of the best in the world. So I had responded to it very, very, very fast. And I was super motivated. Mm. Really, 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 really driven. Yeah. I was really, really driven. Nothing, nothing... Nothing would get in my way from training. Nothing. And where did you do this training? Was you told me today uh, at Stony how, how how you used to train? Like what was a normal training day? Uh, just like traversing, just traversing and bouldering. Yeah, traversing and bouldering. I was really into bouldering from a very very early in my career. So that that had a really big influence on me. So in our school library. We had um, uh, a few books on climbing, A Master of Rock. I've got it here in my study. Oh, that, that book there, that came out, I think, in about 78, oh, uh, the late 70s. That's probably what it says here, because we've got a book yeah. right here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so it, it came out. So look what it says. Yeah, it came, it came out in the late 70s. Somewhere, I should say since the beginning here. Uh, probably next page. Colorado Cross. 77. Yeah, it came out in 77. Yeah. I started climbing, I think, 78 or 79. Right, so this, so this came out just when I started, and this was in our school library, uh-huh. and there was nothing else to read about climbing. So I got this book, read it, and I was just like, oh, man, John Gill's amazing. So I kind of got, in, I got into bouldering. Yeah, you went into... You got, very went early into, on. Yeah, straight away into bouldering, which was... Yeah, I got into bouldering. wasn't very common back then, was it? Yeah, there, nobody was bouldering. Yeah. Oh. You know, it, was, it was just nobody was... You never saw people bouldering. And so I got into that. I wasn't very. I wasn't a very good boulderer. I was more of a... And a, my best attribute in climbing has always been my endurance. 
I was always better on routes than bouldering. I did good at bouldering, but I was always better on routes, I think. And I was more of an endurance climber. But I wasn't very good at bouldering, and because I wasn't good at bouldering, it really got me annoyed. Mm. So I really put a lot of effort into it. Because when I first started, you know, I, I wasn't very good at it. So I got really obsessed by it, and thought, oh, man, I can't have this, I've got to get better at bouldering. Not really thinking that it would help my climbing. And then pretty quickly... I think after well, maybe when I was 18 I realised that it was really going to make a massive inf- impact on mm. my climbing if I did a lot of bouldering in my training and this was just before you went to, 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 to on a US trip right? yes yeah I went there when I was 19 mm. and I'd done a lot of the hardest routes in England and felt like I was climbing better than anyone else here and back at that time, the hardest routes were thought to be in America, mm. uh, done by Jim Collins and um, uh, things like the Phoenix and Ray Jardine, some of those cracks and stuff like that, and John Backer. So I'd read about them and I really wanted to go over there. Mm. So I spent the summer training specifically for that trip. So I was going to Tom's Roof and I was doing lots of training, thinking mm. about trying to repeat psycho roof which had not been repeated and just dreaming the whole time and visualising thinking god I've got to train these to imagine these horrendous boulder problem routes I thought they're boulder problem routes I've got to just boulder Mm. so I trained really really hard uh, for that trip and then went there and and what happened? yeah I mean I went there I really wanted to flash to to on-site super crack which had not been done I think the quickest ascent had been quite a long time and I managed to on-site super crack, which was one of the hardest cracks in the Schwanagunks. And but, then, but there was a crack. Like, how did you train for the crack climbing? Uh, well, I went out on Gritstone, and yeah. a friend of mine had, had tried it, and he he. Uh, I just did cracks. So I did London Wall. The bottom of London Wall is quite difficult. Mm. So I just used to go up and down the first sort of twelve foot, and I had that wired. And then mm. there was a crack out in on Kerber. Mm. a layback crack and I just jammed it straight on so I put a top rope on it instead of laybacking it I just practiced jamming it and then sort of any sort of cracks I just just practice jamming the things and just get used to sort of doing the things it's really hard to jam it straight on mm. it's an easy layback but really hard to jam it right and that's why I learned to finger stack and to do t- good tape jobs and stuff like that but crack climbing is I mean hard crack climbing is a lot about knowing exactly where to jam and how to place your fingers and yes. all that and that's going to be hard to on-site especially if it's like the hardest crack you've ever done yeah yeah so you must have it is but it, oh man I, I, no, I was so 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 sight no way I was going to fall off that huh. I mean I just put gear in and I just I just I just absolutely went for it there's no way I was going to fall off I, I was so 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 keen and I'd done so much work for it and I was so fit um there was a Travis, another little cave out at Stony Middles where it used to go backwards and forwards, get to a jug, hang there, shake out. Backwards and forwards, get to the jug, hang there, shake out. So I worked a lot on my recuperation. And I remember getting to Supergrax, climbing up over the overhang, getting to this jug. There was nothing for your feet. And as soon as I got to this jug, I went, oh, I'm on the cave at Stony. I don't know this jug, I know I can rest there. Mm. And I just went, I got the jug and I went, ah, yes and just hung there and shook out and because I could hang there and shake out and recover 
the men looking to the top are okay. And what, what was the reaction when you onsighted that one? Uh, well, back then you didn't really get many climbers around, but I think the word got out. Mm. And then when I onsighted Supercrack and then I went to Colorado and I, um, I did the Genesis and Psycho Roof. I did the second ascent of both of them. Mm. They hadn't been repeated for a few years and a lot of people had climbed them. And then I went up to Flagstaff and I did I did the second ascent of probably half a dozen of John Gill problems, mm. which had never been repeated. And I did a lot of second ascents there. Did all this hard problems in Fort Collins. By the time I went over to California, I think word had got out that you know I was over there you know, doing hard stuff. So that, today that would be the equivalent of someone coming over from the States, I guess, and and uh, and climbing like all, all the hardest routes in, in Spain, like the 9B pluses and 9Bs, like first go, second go. And yes, yeah. It was, it was like doing the hardest. I mean, I didn't, do, I didn't do them first go, but I did them really quickly. I did Psycho Roof, I tried it a couple of times and then somebody else wanted to try it and there wasn't room for three people on the belay. Mm. So I lowered down, then Skip came up and tried it with Chris. They both tried it and then it was getting too cold so I didn't go up and try it again. So I think I tried, I think I fell off it tw- twice and then I went back the next day and did it first go. So right. I did it really quickly. And this was like the hardest? That was supposed to be one of the hardest ones. In the world? Yeah. Yeah, at the time. And then I, I mean, didn't yeah, I mean, and then I think one one of the other hardest routes which I did was Equinox mm. in um, Joshua Tree. I did that that same same year, and that had I think the quickest ascent had been three days. It took back a three days to top rope it, and then Tony Anira took three days to lead it, and he was thought to be the best climber, or certainly him and Backer were the best climbers in the world at mm. the time. Mm. And Backer gave me the idea of on-siting it. And he was like, I think you can on-site it. So then I got it in my head, I'm going to on-site it. So I trained really hard. I spent three months in Joshua Tree. And I, that was my only goal for about a month, to try and on-site it. And I did all these boulder problem cracks. I was doing rope ladders, pull-ups, traversing, got really fit. And then went there and just... Oh, I think it was one of the best performances I've ever done. I mean, it was. I was really in the zone. I, I felt like if you put another crack on top of it, I could have done it. All I was right. really, really psyched. I just put a couple of runners in and just did a big run out and just didn't bother to stop putting gear in. So it didn't feel it was anywhere near your limit, really? No, 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 no. And so that, that was a really big thing because obviously, on, you know, from, from doing it on site. But there must have been, since you came from here and you went to the US where the hardest routes were, you didn't quite easily. Uh, there must have been like, a big eye-opener for you to what's possible like that is that's not a limit to what's possible to climb obviously yeah so where did you take it from there oh, where did I take it from there so I came back and then one of the things that changed quite a, quite a bit then was I got, I got some it was the start of sticky boots so for climbers now it's nothing but back then people only climbed in EBs mm. And the rubber on them was rubbish. It was like plastic. Okay. So then John Backer had a pair of sticky boots and I tried them and boh, straight away it made a huge difference. And he gave me, I lent him some money because I lent him the money. He gave me a pair of boots. Okay. So uh, where did he get the rubber for? It was over in Spain. So ah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Spanish people came over him 
to him, gave him a pair of boots to test. He couldn't believe how good they were, but the, you couldn't get hold of the boots. You couldn't buy them anywhere. Yeah. So he started importing them, sent, gave me one pair of boots, which was slightly too big for me, and then I came back to Europe. So I was the only person in Europe for about uh, a year mm. with those boots, and people offered me silly, stupid money for them. Yeah. They were just, oh, I picked Carrigan and people, the top line of the time, were like, everybody was like, oh, I want those boots. So that, that was a pretty big advantage. So when I came back, I did a lot of um, routes which I thought would be really helpful, mm. you know, for those boots. So you had them for a year. Uh, how long before you started wearing them up? Oh, but I saved them. I didn't use ah, them. Ah, okay, you just used them for the Yeah, just used them for points. the right things. Yeah. So then I came back and I trained really hard. Then I met... I think it was 83 so I think it was 82, 83 so then I was climbing in Wales quite a bit and I found a really a project there mm-hmm. called Masterclass which I did and I had those boots there Wolfgang Gulich was there on the cliff that day he was doing a route to the side of me and I did Masterclass which is 8A yeah. which I was speaking about earlier I think it was probably the first 8A ever done um, I didn't know what a masterclass is, but it's when you do, you play a musical instrument in front of people. Mm. So my mate, he goes, oh, why don't you call it masterclass? Because Wolfgang was there and he's showing Wolfgang how to climb. <laughs> so I just thought it was funny. Yeah. So, but Wolfgang was a super nice guy. Very, very nice guy. And I chatted to him and stuff. And then I'd heard about climbing in Germany, seen lots of photographs. Mm. I did masterclass and then he invited, well, I asked him if I could go back with him and climb in Germany. So I had the boots, I'd done Masterclass 8A, then I went to Germany with Wolfgang and really cleaned up there. I did, I on-sighted their, his hardest route, which was Heisenfinger. Mm. I don't know what that is, maybe, what would it be, seven, I know it's given 8A now, but it wasn't back then, I think a hold's broken off, it might be 7C or something, right. some 7C plus, something like that. And then I did the first, nine plus in Germany and the first ten minus yeah the face was yeah Yeah. and that was the first 8-8 plus which was done and if I remember correctly that uh, when you back then you you, when you when you fell off you you couldn't work it from there yes we did it with yo-yos so our ethic was you climb up you fell off you don't pull the ropes if you fell off you would like sit on the rope feel the holes around you Mm. you might pull on feel the moves Mm. but you wouldn't practice the hell out of them you just pull on feel them felt like you were cheating a little bit and Mm. then lower down leave your ropes in and then climb up again so when I did the when I did the face I did it with yo-yos so you climb up fall off but the disadvantage is once you get through the crux you don't you have to as you're climbing above that Mm. it's almost like you climb well you are climbing on side It's always so. The ethic was sort of ground up. It's always ground up. Always yeah, ground and you were yeah. lower off. Yeah, and but you could, but you could keep the. Uh, but the, you left your rope clipped yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. So you left your rope clipped in. So if you fell off the last move, mm. all you got to do is top rope it. Yeah. But it was definitely easier to go to the top, abseil down, top rope it, practice all the moves and red point it, because sometimes you do yo-yoing it and then you'd get through the crux and then you'd fall off an easy move at the top mm-hmm. just because you didn't know it you miss a hold or something yeah, like yeah. that and it's like oh god and then you've, you know, you've got to do it all again so basically with that style you couldn't really bolt if you're bolted route you'd know where the holes are yes 
So, but we didn't. If you bolted a route, you wouldn't just sit there practicing it. It's not like right. now you wouldn't. You'd feel like you were cheating. So you put no. the bolts in, but you wouldn't sit there on the abseil rope and do all the moves because no, no. if you did that, all your friends would go, oh, he bloody cheated. He, he did it all on the almost top rope here. So you wouldn't do that. But and also we didn't bolt stuff anyway. No, that's true. The, I put, I think I put two bolts on masterclass because there was no gear on it at all. Mm. But on the top bit there was some wires. So instead of putting bolts on it, I put I put wires in, which is stupid. I mean, it's way better with bolts because it means you had to. For somebody repeating it, they almost had to abseil down, look what wires they need, and mm. then put two wires on the harness. <laughs> Because you can't take all your wires up on an eight and go, oh, there, where's the no, gear? No, no. But at the time, it was thought to be unethical to put bolts in. Right. And it would be rather difficult to on-site that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You'd you have when. to take loads of gear. Yeah, yeah. The first route done in England, in a French or German style, was Statements of Youth when Ben did it, and that mm. was the first route I know of where bolts were put in next to a runner placement. Right. That must have been quite controversial. It was, yeah. I mean, I, I remember thinking when he did it, it's like, oh, man. I mean, it's way, way, way better. I mean, it's way better. But at the time, all I was thinking was, man, he's put a bolt right next to a runner placement. Mm. So it was quite it was quite revolutionary. Because mm. he put, I think, I don't know how many bolts in it, six or seven bolts. And it was at the time, whoa, six or seven bolts. And you could do it with two bolts and six runners. Well, obviously now, nobody... You know, it's much more fun climbing, just going up clipping bolts, certainly on limestone. So when did all this change? The, uh, For example, when, when when did you guys quit yo-yoing? Uh, we quit yo-yoing in... Uh, it was when I was injured. So up until 84, I was climbing. Then 84, I got injured. I had mm. two years when I was injured and I wasn't climbing. And in that time competition started and with the competition starting everybody started uh, red pointing stuff so when I started climbing again in 86 mm. everybody was red pointing yeah and red pointing at that time meant you you brought you you you, you had the, the quick you did anything. yes for yeah. The, yeah but maybe you'd leave them in sometime if, if you were working in route you'd leave the quick draws in yeah, but yeah. if you went up to red point something normally you'd have all your quick draws yeah. certainly on your harness yeah people didn't put them in beforehand you climbed up with all your quick draws and put them in but you could do anything you wanted i mean if you wanted to you could go to the top abseil down it pull the quick draws in you anything you could do anything you wanted as mm. long as you red pointed it the same as now as long as you yeah. as long as you clip all the gear yeah because nowadays no one says Anything about pink pointing or I mean it's red pointing, right? Whatever. Yeah, it's just pink. Yeah, it's just red pointing. Yeah. But that's with that without stick clipping. Nobody's stick clipped. And that's in a whole whole. Stick, thing, clip, isn't it? stick clipping is, is still controversial though. Yeah. I mean, depending on I mean, sure if if if, if, if you there were bolts at, at if you really risk a really bad fall because then I guess it's okay to just stick clip the first bolt or whatever. I don't think so myself. I no? Think, like, no, I don't think you should ever stick clip. No. I think if the first ascensionist has done it without mm. a stick clip, you do it without a stick clip. Right. And even if he has, I wouldn't stick clip anything. I don't think you should do. I mean, if you fall off and break your legs on the start getting to the first bolt, that's what rock climbing is. I mean, yeah. it, it, there's no, there's, there's nothing written down to say climbing is really safe. You're never going to hurt yourself. I risk my life and I've broken bones and had horrendous falls. Mm. That's what climbing is. And you should be able to. If you can't climb to the first bolt, then you're not good enough to do the route. If and if you can't, 
just stick clip the first bolt top rope the hell out of it yeah, and then do it yeah. without yeah, so I mean yeah, just yeah. you know that's all part of the thing you just, mm. uh, th that I haven't got a problem with it wouldn't no. bother me at all if somebody stick clipped the first bolt top roped it 50 times and then let it from the ground but I don't mm. think you can leave you I don't think it's, it's not ethical to leave you to leave it clipped in I think you've got to you've got to you've got to climb up there you've got to do what you want beforehand yeah. that's that's fine that's all in the rules of the game yeah. but you can't have the rules of red point is you climb from the bottom clipping all the gear mm. as you go up you don't get a great big stick and clip the third bolt <laughs> no 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 I, I, I think though that it's uh, viewed upon as acceptable to to clip like a first bolt or even second sometimes yeah uh, I'm not saying it is but yeah. I guess that's what it is so. yeah uh, yeah not for basic, me no. not for me mm. I think you, you just climb just, just climb up there mm. The people go, oh, I don't want to fall off and hurt my ankles and stuff. Just top rope the thing a few more times. Yeah, yeah, practice yeah, it more. Yeah. So part part of the thing, isn't it? Yeah, and at the same time... I mean, I can't remember ever doing a route where it was scary to climb to the first bolt, ever. Not yeah. one route. Not one route. Yeah. I mean, the, the generally, it's generally not that hard to get to the first bolt, is it? No, not generally not, of course. Uh, and, I, and still, even to me, it's as long as you're really um, honest about what you're doing... You yeah. can stick clip for, the, the, the chains. Yeah. For me, the only thing I did, which was a little bit, people might say that's unethical, you climbed up, clipped the bolt, and then reversed down to the ground. Once mm. you've done that, you mm. can leave that bolt clipped in. Are you with me? So yeah, yeah. that was yeah. the ethic. Right. So if you climb up, you might climb up to the third bolt or climb, climb as high down. as you can, mm. reverse all the way right. down. Then from then on, you can leave that that bolt clipped even the next time you get there yes even. so, ah, that, right. that, so that's, then you can that's stick always left it. in so it's always left there so you climb up yeah. you haven't got to pull the rope right but if you pull, pull the rope can you, can you stick the pick next time you get there yes because you've done it yeah okay. yes because you've right. done it yeah that's how we did it yeah. which is a little bit we could say that's unethical and it probably is but, but you can we, jump down uh, yeah you can jump down jump as long as, well. as you don't weight the rope oh, okay yeah, it's all to do with weight in the rope. That's mm. what I thought. So if you, you know, if you want to j jump down and risk it, that's what you do. But mm. as long as you know, because you're not using, you the know, weight. Really you're not using no. the, the equipment. All right. That's what I did. So how much are you involved in climbing these days? Ah, uh, I'm not really involved in it. It's, it's all right. I mean, it's just fun. I kind of, I enjoy going to a few climbing competitions. Um, I, I watched Alex. Uh, Migos do a first ascent 9A which was thrilling a couple of years ago which one was that? I can't remember the name of it something in Germany in the Fankingeria oh, yeah. and then I was in um, in Spain a couple of weeks ago and I saw Adam Andra do some 9A plus which was just uh, it was thrilling it was mm. really really exciting so I am I do get really excited watching people climb of course I came to the Legends competition in Sweden mm. that was fantastic I still get really excited about it you know I mean I'd rather watch I'd rather watch somebody do that than any sport I'd rather watch that than go to the to the the World Cup football final watching England play football or, or Wimbledon or any sport I would still rather watch mm. that I mean, than anything yeah. I mean it was it's to watch those guys climb they're so much better than us and it was yeah, it was totally brilliant to see so if I ever get a chance to go off and see those guys those guys climb I would do but I'm, I'm an outdoor climber yeah. know, I like to see people climb outdoors it doesn't do that much for me seeing people climb indoors no. on plastic do you think it would have been the same if you were uh, 20 years younger or 30 years younger what? like if you were 
same age as these climbers are now. Yes. Do you think you would have been the same kind of climber that you are that you you already were? Yes, I mean, because I've got, you know, if you if you're going to get to the top of a sport in any sport, you've got a pretty bloody big ego. It might be overflated, but I still look at it now and think if I was climbing back then, I'd be climbing better than them. Probably yeah, but would, would you be an indoor climber, you think, or an outdoor climber? Uh, outdoor. I like outdoor. climbing outdoors. Yeah. yeah, I've been an outdoor climber, mm. no question. Mm. I've always liked the outdoors. I was mm. brought up on a farm. I, I like going outside. Mm. I've always liked going outside. I'm an outdoor person. Right. I'd never, I, you know, it was good to do stuff indoors. And if I did a really hard problem indoors, I, it never gave me anything unless I could repeat that outside. So if I, if I did just a ton of hard problems on plastic, it was nothing for me. I had to it go really outside. I had to go outside yeah. and reproduce that on rock right. and do something new yeah. or repeat something. But really, I like doing new stuff. I wasn't late in my career. I couldn't even be bothered to, to repeat other people's routes. I was just interested in doing first ascents. Mm. That's my thing, which I like doing. So it was first ascents and trying to break new ground and stuff. So can you feel uh, any jealousy towards these guys that they have these opportunities to for training and for uh, all the routes out there? And, and no, it's so much no, easier today. No, no, no God, no. I'd much, uh, it's much. Because they're so friggin' strong, I think, oh, Jesus, man. I must say, I, I look back at what I did and I just think, oh, man, I was total crap climber compared to these guys. And you think, it was nice to have been good at it back then, but would I have been good at it now? It's nice to do break new ground and do mm. lots of first you know, first on-sites and first grades of problems and, and stuff like that. It's, it's so many good climbers now. I mean, back when I was doing it, it was great. I... I I went to Fontainebleau for a week in 80, about eight, I think it was maybe 83. I never saw another climber. Wow. I saw one other guy, and I climbed there five days straight, and I saw one other climber in Cuvier. And it was amazing. Mm. And whenever we bouldered up at Stanage, there was grass at the bottom of every single problem. Now it's all worn away and it's yeah. mud, but the, you never saw people boulder and climb. So you had you had all the cliffs to yourself. Same when I went to Bukes with Ben, we never saw another climber for the first two weeks. We had the whole cliff to herself, and that was the number one cliff in Europe. And there was nobody there. Yeah. So for that, I loved it when it was quiet. Yeah, and you, and you, but you say that uh, you were crap compared to these guys, but still, I mean, uh, you climbed a Dominator back in '93, I think we. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was '93. And let's say to be. Yeah. And eight B is still hard. I mean, it's it's not cutting edge yeah. today, but it's yeah. hard. Bloody yeah, it was hard for me. So I'll just check the date on it. It hasn't had that many repeats. No. Really? No. I think it took a long time, didn't it? It might be yeah. ten years before it was repeated. Uh, ben repeated it quick. Well, not quick, but he repeated it, I think, the year after, or that year. And then yeah, it took 93 a while. I did it. 93, yeah. Yeah. I think that was possibly the first... Uh, First eight B wasn't it? Certainly one of them. I think uh, probably Batman could be at about the same time. Right. Is it, who did that? Was that the Jackie? Jackie. Yeah. 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 yeah you know much more about the history than I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you lived the history. That's a difference. Yeah, but back then, you <laughs> see, you weren't you weren't thinking. Oh, you weren't thinking. Oh, that's. I think I even gave it eight A. I, I, I don't think I ever had a problem downgraded. If I thought it was 8B, I'd go, oh, go 8A+. He always, always graded it yeah, under. Yeah. So you're saying the Dominator is thing. still, it, it's actually 8A? 
I think when I did it, I think I said it was 8A or maybe yeah. 8A plus, but I never would have yeah. graded it. The, the, being the worst thing to grade something and then somebody come along and downgrade it, it was absolutely, well, man, you just, too much of a risk. I think, was I think it's still like that sometimes. But yeah. Why is that? I mean, it's just just a number, right? Yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't matter but, so much. Uh, yeah, I know, but be horrendous if he did something because it's almost. I tell you what, Matt, this because it's like you you're mouthing off and trying to do stuff for publicity and saying, mm. "Look at me, I did this," and yeah, yeah. trying to over-publicize yourself. Yeah. That's. I think when I started climbing, it was really we we're really anti-publicity. Mm. My heroes were people like Scott and Brown and Willens. Right. And they'd never do an interview, they'd never do a photograph, they'd never do any publicity, and I just thought that was just cool as. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. that's, that's what I liked. I think it can also be the other way around that if, if you climb something and you feel like oh, this is this is 8B, I'm going to call it 8A though, for publicity. Like, yes. Look at yeah. hard Brian. You know? Yeah, yeah. I never did it for publicity, but no. I just didn't want to have stuff I think it happens today though. Yes. Yeah, that they downgrade, like. Yeah, I think they do it on Ben's moonboard, don't they? Some of the people put yeah. border problems on there, and they're just horrific grades. But they're not really—they're not sort of really important problems because they're just on plastic. Yeah. So it's but still, I guess it gets transferred to outdoors as well. If, yes. If you haven't got that mentality to yeah. always sandbag things like. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's going to compress the whole grading scale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We we compressed it. I mean, we didn't have. I mean, we got stronger and stronger and stronger in England. And yeah. we, didn't, we didn't grade anything harder for years. We just, like, pushed all the grades down. They mm. got pushed and pushed and pushed. Mm. And I'm thinking... I remember thinking, so why the bloody hell are we doing this? It's <laughs> stupid. And you go, oh, it's not that hard. And I was climbing with Ben. He goes, it's not that hard. And I go, well, oh, no, it's not that hard. And then you just, like, push all the grades down and stuff. And then, and then now they've just gone much more realistic. Things are graded a lot better now. Mm. It's more uniformed and stuff. Yeah, I think in that sense it was really important what uh, that Nala when he put up uh, Burden of Dreams that he called it nine A. Yeah. Because uh, everything was graded in eight C for years and years and years. Doesn't doesn't matter how hard it is. Yeah. Eight C. Yeah. So he sort of raised the roof a little bit. Yeah. I so. mean, when I did the nominator, I think that's why I gave it eight A plus or eight A because I just because I didn't believe I could climb any harder than that. Mm. Because that's the, the hardest set of climbs. You mm. think, I can't climb harder than that. That's my limit, so I can't mm. grade it harder than that because I've never done any harder than that, so that's my limit, so that's what grade it is. Yeah, and if you climb into something that's harder than anything you've ever done, than anyone's ever done, yeah. it's really difficult to put a number on that. How much harder is that? Yeah. If it's, if it's is it one plus, two pluses? Yeah. It's, it's impossible to do. It's the same thing with... with uh, I mean, the first 9A or the first 8C plus or the first 8C. Yeah. Like um, liquid ambar, for example, when you yeah. get that up. It's really yeah. hard to, to know what that is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're all, they've got upgraded now. Yeah, you gave it 8C. Yes. Didn't you? Yeah. Well, it was 8C. For the time, it was 8C. I mean, that's what it was. Yeah. It was 8C. But, I mean, but there was only there was only probably half a dozen 8Cs done anyway. Yeah, but it must have been harder than... than, than most other ATCs that were around since it's now yeah, but there were so few of them it was very yeah, hard it's to hard tell. to say yeah it's really difficult to, to know yeah yeah yeah. it was a video I mean I should have done it I think I did it in 1990 and I fell off the last move in 89 can look okay. <laughs> I mean I fell off the last move in 89 and then crashed my bike the next day on the racetrack and that was that was the end of that didn't find it yeah yeah we're consulting Jerry's book again yeah get the book out <laughs> in the back of it Oh. Yeah, 85, uh, 89 competition. 
1990, I did it in May 1990. Uh, yeah, so I fell off the last move in 89. But that was, that would have been, that would have think, been one of the hardest routes around. Yeah. Which, which other HCs had you climbed then? I hadn't. No. No, I hadn't done so any. So there was no, only, okay. there was only uh, the two that Ben had done in France. Right. Agincourt and Maginot. Yeah. And I hadn't really, I'd worked them, but I hadn't tried to do them because mm. it's down there and it did take ages to, to spend time on the things. Right. And I think Wolfgang probably did. Yeah, Wall Street. Yeah, Wall Street. Yeah. That was HC as well. Yeah. And that was sort and of that specific. Was it. Was, I don't think it was anything else. No. That was it. So then I then I was trying that, and like I said, I fell off the last move in '89. But then I was I was also doing competitions, so I wasn't concentrating completely on red points. So it took a lot of time mm-hmm. doing that. And then when I came back the next year, I did it first try red point. I, I worked it, found it horrendous. One day I was like, God, this is going to take me forever. Then I came back another day, did some really big links on it. Then came back a couple of weeks later. And uh, yeah, did it first go. But and that was Pen Truin, was it? Lower Pen Truin. Lower. Yeah. yeah. And isn't that problem with with the tide? And yes. Stuff? So you have to get the tides right and yeah. stuff. But you can look beforehand and see what time you know what time the tides okay. are. As so I went there that day, and then I thought, well, I'm not going to do it today. I'll wait. So I did a lot of easy climbing that day, and then I finished. And we're walking around town. I think it was like about seven, eight o'clock in the evening. Mm. And I remember being thinking, getting kind of really nervous that I was going to try it tomorrow. Mm. And then I thought, oh, bugger, I can't wait. Let's go there now. And I think I did it about eight o'clock in the evening because it gets dark kind of late. But mm. I went up really late. And I just I just got really nervous. I thought, oh, you know what? I feel really good now. Mm. Why not wait. go for it? Yeah, why not try it now? Mm. I felt really good. Um, yeah. So I went there, clipped the, clipped the bolts, reversed down, and then did it. And so, at the time, I thought, well, that's easy. I'm not easy, but I thought, God, now I've done this, I can climb something really, mm. really hard. But then it's, it's it's hard to find stuff. Living in England's not a very no, good place no. for finding new routes. But would you consider that the hardest thing you did? Uh, Even if you can, I mean, if you count the bowl problems? Yeah, so. I don't know. Well, yeah, one, one of them for the time, mm. certainly, because it was probably the hard. Well, until Ben did Hubble a few weeks later, it was the hardest route in the world, probably. Mm for that time and if it is AC plus it was one of the first AC plus it mm. was the first AC plus right uh, so it's quite groundbreaking yeah. I mean, and I should have done it the year before I mean if I'm right off the bloody last move and I was definitely going to do it the next day but in my uh, stupidity I thought what should I do for a rest day I take my bike to Cadwell Park racing and then I, and I went straight over the handlebars and broke my foot and wrist and ribs and kind of knackered knackered myself for the season really Crap. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that the um, if you were to pick uh, one one route or one thing you've done in your climbing career that you're especially you know, proud of or what, what's your uh, what would that be one thing um, probably things like the, the, the Dominator maybe and, and Liquid Amber routes like that Yeah, and then a few on sites. Winning Leeds was pretty big. Mm. The, first Leeds, World the, Cup. the first World Cup mm. event was pretty big because it was um, competitions were controversial in England at the time. People didn't. A lot of people were really against them. There'd never been a competition in England, and there's so much negativity. I really wanted to to show showcase 
you know competitions yeah. and climbing and stuff like that so that was quite big and the margins by you win them are not very much so and you you were really good at competition climbing and sport climbing I wanted to be an all-rounder so I didn't want to be a specialist no, but and you were yeah uh, but still it takes it's quite different though like the, the mentality it takes to, to climb hard on rock and yeah. competitions right yeah my yeah. goal was always to be the the best climber in the world to me that meant the best boulderer you, 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 how could you say you're the best climber in the world if you can't win competitions you can't mm. you've got to win the competitions and you've got to do the bouldering and you've got to do the hard red points mm. and around that time in the you know there weren't climbing competitions in the in the early 80s but I was climbing way better than everybody in 82 I mean mm. I was on sighting but it was sort of 80, 83 I was on sighting 7C plus the next best thing people were doing were like on sighting 7B or 7B plus mm. But later on in the 1990s, it became harder, but I wanted to win the competitions, do the hard red points, and do the bouldering, because I wanted to be the best climber, but you can't, you know, then they're very good if you go, I'm the best climber in the world, and then you can't go to the climbing competition, you came like 10th. It's pretty hard to, yeah. to make a claim on that, isn't it? So I wanted to, for me, I wanted to do everything. But how did you prepare uh, when you want to, when you wanted to go for a hard red point compared to when you wanted to to, to compete or when you yeah. competed well, it was both endurance I did a lot of endurance stuff yeah. I I did a lot of endurance stuff I found mentally never I, I, if I was bouldering or red pointing I don't think I ever if I had the ability to do it I always did it I okay. never failed mentally never I mean I was really really strong I could do stuff even some bowler problems I don't think I should have done them mm. but I pulled them out of the bag and did them But with climbing competitions, oh man, I got my ass kicked. I went to the first time with climbing competitions and I climbed like a sack of shit. I mean, I climbed f awful. Mm. I mean, awful. I mean, I was on sighting really hard routes. Went to the first climbing competitions and I completely choked. Looking back on it, I choked. I got there all relaxed, thinking, yeah, I can do this. Walked out in front of the crowd and just went... <clears throat> And, just, and you couldn't take it like I couldn't take it mm. because of the pressure and I failed 100% because of the pressure I choked so and I did that quite a few times and then I thought oh, that's when I, I thought I've got to learn I've got to you know uh, it, no point getting stronger no point getting more endurance there's no point in losing more weight which is what I was doing mm. that wasn't why I was failing so then I I, 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 I totally choked in, in Munich on the final I climbed about three meters and then just fell off standing there And that's when I realised I've got to I've got to find out what I'm doing mentally, yeah. and that's what brought me into the into the finding out how your mind works. And I really read books on on sports psychology, and that helped me a lot. And then I managed it once I figured that out. Yeah. Then I started really doing well in competitions. And but but it was it was always hard for me, and I didn't really like it. But it, I had to really battle mentally with those things. Is that that's the methodology that you always use? And when you, when you want to learn something, you you read up read up on it, like you did with. Uh, I had to educate myself yeah, because yeah, nobody else was going to teach me. Yeah. It's, it seems to be the same with with uh, with the dogs, with uh, yes. golf or yes. anything. Really, yeah. you, I had to find. I had to try and find out. I had to try and find out a way. I could not. I couldn't finish. It would have been hell for me mm. to have done all those routes, all mm. those bowl problems. And failed in competitions. Yeah. Oh man, it would have been horrific. Mm. How long did it horrific. take you to, to to learn this? Uh, well, I learned it. I got this book and I threw myself into this book and I did it two, two months of just reading and writing yeah. and researching and I just 
I read this one book and I thought that's what I'm going to do and I just boom and I read it and read it and read mm -hmm. it I wrote and I did two or three hours every single day for two months trying to get my head in order for Leeds okay. Leeds was the next competition after I choked in Munich okay so my memories of the last competition were absolutely horrendous negative scars mm -hmm. which I had to eliminate from my mind I could not even go there thinking about am I going to go to the super final and choke so that, that it was a real mental battle of going out there and thinking this is it I'm in the same place that I was a month ago this is it I'm in, in Sheffield so mentally it was a really hard battle to get there Yeah. and I just barely did it I mean I, I kind of nearly I did almost blow it on the middle bit and it was a piece of piss and I nearly fell there got through that got to a shakeout recomposed myself and then and that was, and that was because uh, in the middle of the route there you, you started to lose it mentally like I didn't lose it mentally but I just I, 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 I did this rock over hmm. I stopped I was doing the middle move and I thought I'll clip the bolt and then halfway through the move I kind of stopped to clip the bolt and then I kind of went <laughs> like that so I just lost my focus oh, okay. a little bit rather than and then and I had I did have that thought in my mind of, of Munich and falling hmm. and then once I got through that then I thought oh. I'm high up here I, I've done I've done good I've not fallen on that bottom bit but the whole time I'm thinking don't fall on the bloody yeah. bottom but you don't want to be thinking yeah. that it's the worst thing you yeah. can think so I was trying to put loads of positive things in my mind so it was like a instance, battle all the way to, to block out those yeah and thoughts. I didn't have a problem I had all those thoughts out there then I yeah. stopped to clip this bolt mm -hmm. in the wrong place halfway through the move and and the, and that, that's where I thought it just flashed in my mind a little bit like that I could have fallen there but there's mm. no bloody way I was going to and then once I got through that then I was just then I got more focused on mm. what I had to do yeah I knew I was going to win that competition I knew it I had my I'd done so much mental work mm. preparation and just before I went out with Didier was in the super final and I said to him I'm going to win this one Didier in a nice way yeah, yeah. Like, I'm going to beat you sucker yeah. it was just like he was, he's a super nice guy a really yeah. good friend and I was like I'm going to I'm going to get this one but I guess it has to be like that, though. If you want to win, you need to think, I'm going to win. Yeah, yeah. Well, you certainly got a better chance. Yeah. You have a better chance. Because if you don't think you're going to win, it's, it's going it's, it's to be a lot harder to do it. Mm. So you, you want to be fairly fairly confident and stuff. And it just so happens that you're at, right now, you're, you're writing a book. Yes. About sports psychology. And sports stuff. psychology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've learned, I've learned a lot. I mean, I thought I knew quite a lot about sports psychology, but I've done so much research um, for this book. I'm looking back on it now, I thought, God, I wished I'd done more. I wish I'd read more books. I wished I'd known this. And mm -hmm. sports psychology and has come on a lot in 20 years. People know a lot more stuff. They've done a lot mm -hmm. more research. They've looked a lot more into elite sport and how mm -hmm. they think and what they do and stuff. Um compared to all that time ago and then I had a lot of help for this book uh, from a guy called Lou Hardy who's who's one of the top guys in the world at sports psychology mm. he happens to be a climber and he happens to be a friend of mine so normally you can't see people like that mm. and uh, my friend Noel who's helped me out quite a bit he's like oh, I'll get you to see Lou so I went over and spent like three hours speaking to Lou in Wales and he it has really helped me out put a different slant on the book mm. telling me why things work why does visualisation work what what should be thinking and, and yeah. stuff so it is, that's really helped some of it was very technical I've left it out mm. I put it in and then read it and it's just too technical it's not really 
needed to get where you want to be. Mm. But so, so what you've done, you, you've uh, done research on your own. You have talked to sports psychologists, specialists, and you have talked to a lot of some of the best climbers yes in the world, I've right? spoken yeah I've spoken yeah. to what I perceive to be the modern best climbers I've not spoken to any of the old climbers from my generation I wanted to have all the, the, the top climbers of the generation from now mm. like Sharm, Chris Sharma Andre it's Migos you know loads loads of climbers so I've spoken to them and got their thoughts to see what they think which is very similar is very similar to what we were thinking but it's interesting hearing different different bits from different climbers and you're thinking no wonder he's so bloody good because he's thinking exactly what it says in these books and what mm. the professors and what sports psychologists say but I do think that a lot of climbers they don't put much work into it they're not they don't think they knew as much as I did no so today so I think that some of them could climb better yeah I really do think they could climb better but some of it with sports psychology and doing things some of it's disguised like you might get one guy who's psychologically the best climate in the world he doesn't blow it but if he's not as strong as the guy who's two grades harder he'll never beat him no. but that guy will just find a way to do it because he'll mm. overpower the route yeah, but so it, it goes back again to what you said about today's climber being super flexible strong everything like you have to be complete Yes, and that goes for the, the mental factors as well. I yes, guess, if you want to compete yeah. and be the so best. I think some some of the people could do better, but you know, hopefully this book will enlighten people, and they'll get a little bit more from, from the thing. I mean, I think there's a little bit on confidence in there and stuff like that. I think if you, I think one of the main things this book could do is help people become a little bit more confident, mm. and if you're more confident, that'll have a big impact on your climbing. So confidence is a big thing. But it's, it, there's some things in there to show you how to improve your confidence and, and break it down to what make you know what gives you confidence and stuff. All right. So, so in this uh, in the work with this book, uh, speaking to to everyone, like, what has surprised you the most? You what surprised me? Mm-hmm. Um, I tell you, what surprised me a little bit is that the people who are doing really well are doing exactly what it says in the book all right well it was really surprising how for me some guy adam ondra his final thoughts is it something i call in the the book called banking success where you're thinking of your successful things Mm -hmm. you're banking your success for every success you have you put it in the bank and remember it so it might be the tiny thing that you've just done two weeks ago Mm -hmm. so if adam ondra is out there climbing and he's, he's just about to do a red point, if he's not warmed up that well and he doesn't feel that good, he might not think about anything he's done that day. He might think about a day a week ago oh, yeah. when he felt really good. All right. So he'll think about, ah, oh, I did really well that day. That's what I'm going to think about. I can't have lost it in a week. I'm going to think about that day. So they're exactly the same things which I'm telling people to do in the book. Right. It's almost like he's read the chapter before I've written it. So he's, he's doing those things. And you're thinking, well, if that guy, and that's going to give you confidence, mm. you know, that, that banking all the time, thinking that's successful, I'm mm. good, I'm good, I'm thinking, you know, think all those things, that's going to give you confidence. Yeah. And he's one of the masters at that. I mean, he, he pulls, he, you know, he even says, it doesn't matter if it's true or not, if you can trick your mind and think about it, then it's good. 
so that was quite surprising that he was thinking it's like I said it's almost like he read the chapter it's almost like uh, like it's like it's a chicken or the egg situation where yeah. you can wonder if, if the researchers have looked I at don't, what yeah. people do and, yeah and I don't think he even realises I don't no. think he'd read something saying do no. all that stuff I think it's just something that is is, is done naturally Right. But it is something which a sports psychologist would say to you. That's what you've got to think, mm. and he thinks that way. That, that, and if you, uh, you know, a few other things. Mm. Is there anything that you think is um, other than that that they they're really strong climbers, these people, but something that's similar with them? Like, what does it take to become? this person that, that I think the so thing much. that's good so, for you as well yeah I think the thing in all, all elite sports is you, you have to have a drive you mm. have to have something there's something in your unconscious something which has happened to you in your childhood something you're completely unaware of you don't have a clue on it something which makes you want to bloody climb so hard mm. what's going to make you want to go training every day what's going to make you want to do that big run out what's going to make you do that so there's something mm. that you're not aware of which gives you that drive I mean, and all those people have, all those top climbers are really, really, really driven. Mm. And if they have a problem on something and they can't do something, they'll find a way around it. Like I, I struggled with climbing competitions mm. uh, mentally, but I was that driven. I will, I will find a way around it. I can't accept failure. And I think it's the same with a lot of those yeah. top climbers. They're yeah. really, really super, super psyched. And, and that goes for everything you do doesn't it yes for me yeah I think yeah. it would go for all those climbers yeah. it would not think definitely absolutely definitely mm. uh, all those climbers they're not going to finish climbing and go well that's okay I'm going to go into I'm going to go and do something else now and I'm not really that bothered about it it goes for everything unfortunately mm. it, you know, it goes for your whole life because yeah. it's it's a, it's a pretty big burden you know what I mean it's like all the time sometimes I just wish I wish I could do something and not give a shit about it yeah, it's yeah. pretty hard because I've, I've been really driven and stuff but I don't you know like um, I guess you know, it's a blessing and a curse yeah it is because mm. sometimes I go surfing now and mm. I don't surf good and I'm just like frigging miserable yeah, yeah. and I see other people and they might have a bad session and they're like oh well that's quite good fun there's one guy on the east coast no matter what it's like he always comes out and he goes well that was fun wasn't it that, I enjoyed that and you're yeah. thinking I'm thinking, no, it was shit. The fucking wind was all wrong, and it was, you know, the wave wasn't breaking properly. And I'm going, oh shit, I've driven two hours to get here, and it's it's not perfect. And I'm going, that was shit. I'm thinking, I wish I could be like Pete and just come out and go, yeah, that was fun. So trying to push yourself all hard, you know, at the end of you, at the end of it, are you the happy person or are you the happy person who doesn't climb that good, but they're happy all the time? It's better, of course. Yeah. yeah. So you want to, you want to be, you want to be a bit more satisfied. But so it, my, I'm, mine's troughs and lows yeah. and stuff. Are you still as driven as you were? No, I think I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting better. Mm. I mean, that's what the sports psychologist <laughs> said when I saw him. He goes, "You're nearly cured. You'll never <laughs> be cured, but you're nearly cured. You don't, be, you'll never, but it's like you'll never be completely cured. You'll always." You'll always have that, and I'm like, oh god, please no. <laughs> so if you listen, if you're really, really good, if you want to become a really good climber, don't listen to what Jerry's just said about <laughs> being cured. Like, keep keep at it. <laughs> yeah, but you need that. You need that drive. You must have that drive. No matter how good you are naturally, genetics, height, finger strength, you must have that drive. Mm. You must have it. You've got to have that real, real. I will not fail. You must have that. It's the most important thing. It's more important than anything. 
in my client I always saw once every couple of years you'd see somebody come along and you think bloody hell that guy's ridiculous mm. and then they'd lose motivation yeah and they'd scar yeah yeah so, so this book again uh, who is it aimed at who, who do you want to well you obviously you want everyone to buy it when it comes out oh uh, yeah I mean yeah, that's it's aimed at people who are pretty keen on climbing so yeah. people are climbing four or five times a week they might have a trainer they might have a coach yeah. um, generally people are interested in climbing and they mm. want to improve people who want to improve this book will if you want to improve at climbing absolutely definitely understanding everything in this book will help your climbing no mm. question mm. because people have different personalities you can't say one thing will di- directly work for this person just like somebody who has naturally strong fingers and weak arms another person has strong arms and weak fingers so different training things work for different people mm. and it's the same with sports psychology but it's pretty rounded you have to go through it and pick what works for you and mm. one thing might work for you and it might not work for you and stuff people people respond to different yeah. to different things in training but it but, definitely will help people and it's aimed at sort of all climbers from any grade people who want to improve and it's adaptable for all all sport I mean so not only climbers yeah it, no. can, it can work for yeah. any sport I mean you can you know the book I read for sports psychology is by a rifle shooter yeah who could be the most unfit person in the world there's no strength no muscle and it's just a sports psychology mm. book so this book could work for a rifle shooter and mm. it could work for anybody and it's adaptable for all mm. for all sport the same the, the principles are all the same of concentration and, and, and stuff like that mm. it's all very similar are you nervous at all about how it will be received when it comes it's going to come out in September, September. Yeah. yeah it comes out in September uh no, not really. I mean, some people like it, some people won't like it. But I hope that, that, that I'm not really that, not really, that, not really too bothered. And all you can do is your best job. Mm. You know, I've done. You know, when I did my autobiography, you read it so many times. You're sick of the bloody thing. It's like at the, at the end of the day, you've read it that many times. You don't even enjoy it. I mean, you get to the point where you hate the book and you can't look at it anymore. And you just go, "That's it. I'm not editing it anymore. I hope people like mm. it." All I know is I've done my best job. I don't need to do the book for any reason, for money, financial thing. You're just trying to put something back into climbing. I hope that so, one day somebody will read that book and they'll do a red point the day before they should have done it, mm. or they'll onsite something they shouldn't, you know, they wouldn't have maybe onsited. Mm. So to do something like that would be really good. So it's, it's just putting something back into climbing. So hopefully it'll spark something off. Mm. Even if it inspires people and gives them. If it just inspires people, that's pretty massive. Mm. You know, if it inspires them and gives them a bit of motivation, helps with the concentration a little bit, and if they're having a problem on a route, they can refer to my book, see something, and think, that's what I'm doing wrong. Mm. I'm thinking about that, and I should think about that. Then it'll help. And it will definitely, definitely, definitely help. I mean, I think it'd be huge. You need to start a... a uh, uh website or a Facebook page something where people can can uh, send in their stories yeah they if they're having problems yeah. I bet I mean for sure like if they help them you can write yeah. it and yeah. yeah yeah I mean I struggle with my writing or, or the whole of this book has been done on voice activation mm. so I talk into the computer into a microphone and that types it out I couldn't do it I've had to type it myself 
So if you're reading in the book and it sounds like I'm talking to you, I am talking to you because I'm just <laughs> talking straight into the computer. And then you just go through it and they get a few words wrong. So and right now you're 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 mid editing process. So how, yeah, so how do you feel about it right now? Like the book, uh, are you tired yeah, of it right now? Obviously. Uh, I'm still enjoying it, and sometimes when when you write a chapter and you start off in the morning, you look at it, the page and it's blank, and you go, "Oh God, I've got to do this one." Hmm. But then you work on it. You know, it takes a, a day to do a page, maybe more. But hmm. at the end of the day, if you get it right, you feel you know, it's been really good. I've hmm. really enjoyed it, and it's brought back memories of climbing yeah. and stuff. So for the most part, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. And it's grown, hasn't it? From from uh, from the original idea, it was like a shorter thing, and now it's yeah. more like a public. Yeah, book. well, then when I met Lou, you know that professor yeah. of sports yeah. psychology, then it got it got like I was like, oh god, then it was like about the same amount of work again on some of the chapters. Mm. So it's got quite a bit bigger, and then the first well, nearly all the book is the sports psychology broken down into different aspects. And at the end of the book, I've got some of the people who contributed. I said to them, so what's your best days climbing? Or what's a day climbing where you felt like you shouldn't have succeeded, but you did succeed? Mm. So just write a short story to try and inspire people. So we'll have like 15 stories of the best climbers in the world of their best day climbing. So, I mean, if that doesn't inspire... That's inspiring. Yeah. And we've got some amazing photos as well. Everybody's been really generous with their time and helping out. No, they really have. It's helped a lot. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. It hasn't be hasn't been difficult to to uh, at all to to get these climbers on the book. No, I mean everybody's been really yeah really generous yeah. with the time and stuff. Yeah. I mean some people he didn't answer emails and, yeah. and stuff like that, but for the for the, for the most part everybody's everybody's really helped yeah. out and everybody's trying to climb. Mm. If I got an email yeah. saying, "Can you write a load of stuff?" You'd be like, "Well, actually, I'm, I'm trying to red point a really hard route. I don't have the time. I want to focus on that." Yeah, right now you're waiting for Nala to respond, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going to try and get something from Nelly. <laughs> we'll keep that in. Unless you're also Nelly. <laughs> yeah, got to get something from him. Yeah. yeah. Sure. It's hard, though. I mean, I, yeah. I don't I don't go to it all the time. So sometimes if people don't respond, I'm writing a load of stuff, so I might leave it for quite a long time mm-hmm. and not push people. Yeah, so you, do you have a deadline like right now when everything has to be okay, done? I think about three weeks because oh, okay. I've got other things I want to do I've, I've got other business things I want to yeah. do yeah. I want to get my life back and walk the dogs go surfing <laughs> I didn't surf I mean I just got locked in a room I didn't do nothing for, mm. for like two months and just sit down and write the book but I, if I didn't do that you have to be obsessed yeah. absolutely obsessed by it to do it otherwise yeah, you, you can never do, do it one hour a day can you yeah you to try. talk about motivation motivation is writing a book when you can't type in you're dyslexic and you can't spell or do nothing that's motivation it's tough <laughs> that's a success story right there <laughs> yeah. yeah amazing I think I think we got it Good. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks yeah. so much for for. I mean, we were going to do this uh, back in November for that. That's what was the original original reason why I invited you to Sweden to Stockholm. Yes. To do to do this <laughs> podcast, and then um, uh, we figured, oh, let's do it at Legends, and then Legends came, and uh, we didn't really have time for it. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> so and then we it finished. Know. It was like, oh, I forgot why I was here. <laughs> <laughs> But now it's done. Yeah, it's been fun. Brilliant. Thank yeah, you thank so you much. much. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thanks.